So tell me, Sophie, firstly about the Stanford experience. In terms of that broader philanthropic picture, what did you glean that was most useful to you from the time at Stanford, do you think? Even if it was just a new idea or a shift in perspective? I, that's my perspective, having worked in, in North America and now in Australia. Um, when I came to Australia, I, I observed that um, there was less of a tradition of philanthropy uh, in Australia than in the United States. And the United States history is, it was gathering of groups before a hundred years later, they decided to federate and have a, the United Nations or have a government. While in Australia, it's the other way around. <laughs> and so the, um, it is interesting to, to see that in the states that has been there for a long time and it is, there's very, very little government intervention in, in the arts and in other sector. So the, you rely heavily and deeply on philanthropy to help you achieve your goals and to stay alive if you are any arts organization or not-for-profit. Or um, And there was a... Uh, I've lived in North America in, at the time of the GFC, so that was a big hit and it had, for example, a major impact on orchestras. Um, the large numbers of orchestras had to close doors, um, could not mm. survive, in, and some of them went bankrupt. The, um, the learning, I think, um, was that the, there was a necessity for endowment and for having reserves uh, to be sure that uh, an organization could weather bad periods, but not necessarily for a long, long, long mm -hmm. <laughs> time. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, trends have accelerated in North America and um, people from everyone I've talked to, they're all bracing for impact, they're all um, scared or uh, anxious. preparing, anxious mm. for um, preparing for really tough times. Mm. And um, it, it shows, and they are noting significant trends, transformation in the nation. And um, at, a, at the same time, some very positive things like um, uh, the will to make a social impact and capacity grants being becoming more and more uh, important. So the Hewlett Foundation will make a, a capacity grant of a billion dollar <laughs> donation towards uh, climate changes. And they will focus on the organization they are uh, going to help progress their plan and they will participate a lot in the the um, setting the goals and the achievement that they are expecting to see. So that is probably something that at one point will arrive here or will happen in Australia, but it's quite interesting. I believe personally in capacity grant because when an organization is doing well and wants to progress to another level or um, diversify or do something that is requiring an investment, you need people to believe in you, or organization, trust, foundation, and follow you on that journey and help you along the way when 
there you're not showing straight away results where you get <coughs> revenue straight away. Mm. And I've seen that many times in my life. I've worked with different organizations where um, I think innovation is, is something uh, I'm not afraid of and actually I'm welcoming. I believe you cannot <coughs> stay static. You have to progress in life. And so every organization I've worked with, I've tried to uh, uh, bring something new, something different to the organization, be it new series of concerts, new ways of engaging with people, new projects, etc. And <coughs> at that point, like in our case, the MSO is really focusing on digital. We still believe that it is extremely important to engage with our community, our audience, live audience. And we're very proud of having seen a big increase in the last few years. We now engage with 372,000 people in a year, which is significant. And through broadcasting in Australia, nearly five or above five million a year. Mm -hmm. So th this is a way for us without being in all other states where we were not even dreaming on wanting to go to other states. There are amazing orchestras over there too. <laughs> um, but it's a way to engage with all Australians and to be relevant. So that shift towards the digital, we need an investment. And that's something we don't have big reserves or uh, that capacity, that financial capacity. And that's an example of us um, saying, well, a capacity grant or someone believing mm -hmm. in us. So if you are a private company, you would have an R&D department or you would seek capital's investment to, to get there. If you're not for profit, you're trying, uh, yeah, trying to achieve the same outcomes mm. within different way. So that idea, did you feel that what you were bringing to those discussions at Stanford was new, interesting, innovative, stimulating for your colleagues in that cohort as well? I hope, <laughs> <laughs> because the. Um, we discuss having similar challenges, not all, mm -hmm. same and similar challenges, but some of them were at a point in the development of their organization or where they were looking at that type of funding or uh, really wanting to make, make important changes. Or if we're talking about Climate Council, and one of my colleagues was the CEO of the Climate Council, um, wanting to advocate the urgency um, to do so and deploy different um, strategies. So it, it was quite interesting and I think hopefully we'll all be a little transformed because of that trip. Sure. Yes. I'm sure they will. In a broader sense, how much of your current role do you actually think about philanthropy or engage with the idea of philanthropy or engage with philanthropists? I think about it uh, on a daily basis. It's part of my life. I started at 7 a.m. this morning on the phone with one of our major donors who um, was at that point in the States. And so you are available at the time if they request to have a chat that that is okay with them. And this afternoon, just prior to this interview, we were all uh, with one of our stakeholder donor and one of our major donor 
um, it, we think of engaging with them a lot because <coughs> as we all know it's through shared values that we get these association um, I'm very mindful that people decide to part with their own money <laughs> and that they should do that for a good cause and that we should have um, hopefully aligned values, shared values and that we should give feedback as often as possible on what we're doing and what they have um, helped us achieve. The MSO has thousands of donors so I cannot engage personally with everyone. This is impossible. Um, and it's beyond 10,000, it's a large number. So we, we find different ways of engaging. E-newsletter, e um, thank you letter, um, a little summary of what we have achieved with their money or the project we were seeking funding for. Uh, so it's part of my life and it's a huge part. We have increased our um, philanthropic donation by 45% in the last two years. So it has been achieved through a lot of engagement, not just. Can you explain perhaps in mm -hmm. more detail how you've managed to achieve that? Because that's a significant positive it outcome. It is. We thank you for mentioning mm -hmm. it. We have achieved that in um, actually transforming the way we engage with our donors and then having different touch point and um, different strategy, different programs. So increase uh, one of the program that works well and that, that's, I'm just thinking of that, but I could actually talk of others. Mm. Um, it's, we have a, a, adopt a musician program. So we have 88 amazing musicians, permanent musicians in the orchestra that have dedicated their life to performing music um, and that are extremely happy when there's 372,000 people coming to mm -hmm. concerts. Mm -hmm. um, so, and they're also extremely pr proud when uh, somebody decides to adopt them specifically because then they come out of the anonymity of performing in an orchestra. And they have all amazing stories to tell and um, they're very proud of that. So it's a good program that works well where it's a tiered program. So you, depending who you're adopting in the orchestra, it's more expensive or less. And um, So you pay more for the first violin? You do, <laughs> for the concert master. And um, then we will make sure there are multiple touch points in the year. So uh, it can be a note, a written note, but it will also be invitation for a, a drink or a coffee at the end of a concert. And we will make sure that we organize, let's say, an annual uh, dinner to thank all our donors who are and their respective adoptees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so it's it, that's a that's something that has uh, significantly helped us engage with uh, donors, and that has brought money to our um, into our budget, our revenues. We have done um, different appeal, different uh, mm -hmm. per quarter. So the NSO in the past used to have an end of financial year appeal and. Christmas appeal, when now we go by quarter, so we have an appeal with each quarter, so that uh, if it is well done, brings more money in. And then I think it's also a focus on engaging more with our significant uh, 
for major donors. What about identifying new donors? How does how does that this has been very important. Mm. And uh, the MSO has been on a journey of um, diversification in our program. So we are still uh, very proud of uh, maintaining a tradition and performing in the best possible way uh, the classic repertoire. But, but this is a tiny part of what's being written for symphonies because a symphony is like a big band. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest band you can find <laughs> on earth. <laughs> and we are very proud of performing John Williams' uh, Star Wars movies music. Uh, he's an amazing composer, a man of our time. Um, and we're happy to perform that. We're happy to perform Australian music. We're happy to, to perform with um, flight facilities or so many other artists. So the diversity of what we do has been, um, I think, part of our success. And we're very happy to see that we are engaging with children. <laughs> it's, the, it's really the whole life cycle uh, with people from all ages. The, 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 the band of, or the age group that we have a more difficulty is young parents with young children because they're usually, <laughs> you know, buying a house, young kids, that's a tough time. They usually come back with their children when they start going to school and can come to family concerts. And then they usually come back and come in the evening without the, the children <laughs> as a date night and they come to lots of different things so we that's we have focus on not just the um our dear and beloved subscriber but our ticket buyers so people who come to the orchestra may be less but come every year we have um, and I'm very happy about that we work on actually increasing our engagement with young adults young people who have started working, so 35 years old and younger. And by now, we, we had seed money from a foundation, the Pratt Foundation, um, who helped us start a program for the, uh, the MUSO, the young, which is <laughs> slang for musician, but anyway, um, young adults, 35 and younger, so that they could come to concert or the MSO and have some behind the scene experience and experience the MSO in different and varied ways. So we've uh, started and in our first year had something like 600 people who came in that category. By now we're at 6,000 members. So we're very happy of the, um, you know, the response has been there because even if we were to push something out and it would not respond to a need, I suppose this would not be uh, met. So we're very happy about that and the young user member um, are very proud of their MSO so they're not donating. And donations are maybe not the biggest but at the same time it's significant and we're very proud of that. This is a problem, though, that every state orchestra would have in terms of growing that base of support. Do you think what you've done here is different to what other orchestras in the country would do? Well, I would not dare <laughs> compare what we do with others. I know that we are at the forefront sometimes. We have um, been the first orchestra in Australia, for example, to um, to 
um, to give relaxed performances. And relaxed performances are performances that are dedicated and designed for special need audiences, art, art, artistic uh, Down syndrome, or different mm. type of uh, mm. person. Uh, and um, it's been going very well. And I'm very proud of the fact that following us, my colleagues and other orchestras have started um, doing relaxed performances or um, sensory friendly performances. And we've, we've been doing that since 2017. And this is, and the response we've had is amazing because uh, a lot of families uh, have told us that they could not come with this special member in their family. Uh, to a normal concert because of being afraid of um, disturbing other audience or uh, too much stimuli. So we work on the dynamics, the lights, um, and having breakout areas, and so the way we present these concerts, and it has had a great impact. So we're very proud of doing things like that, and actually I'm hoping that all my colleagues around the country will do the same, because it's just engaging more and in a meaningful way with our community. One of our latest projects has been to actually commission 11 Welcome to the Country in Music in uh, Indigenous language for the 11th region in Victoria. So that we have decided that we're, we're committed to a First Nation plan and a reconciliation plan. Um, but very often, when there's a public event in Australia, you will be acknowledging the traditional mm. owners of the land on which we stand somewhere um, by saying it verbally. So the, in the MSO case, when we are performing, let's say, at Hemeral here in Melbourne at the Art Centre, there's a message that was heard. We've decided to go one step beyond that and, and commission beautiful music and with words in indigenous language and perform that very short piece at the start of all our concerts. So that's starting in 2020 and we've actually trialed it in Ballarat last Friday. <laughs> and it was, I was amazed, I was there. It was quite an amazing piece. And mm. it's, I think it's going to be part of our um, um, cultural heritage here. Yeah. Wow. I actually am hoping that mm. it will become a tradition. Mm. And so that's something we've done to engage with different groups around the state. So there was a recent report released that canvassed uh, and analysed government funding for the arts over the past 10 years. It noticed a couple of things. One of them was some recent volatility in, yeah. around the government funding, but also over a period of time how, in effect, um, federal government funding in particular had declined quite significantly. There had been an increase in local government funding, but clearly not sufficient to make up the shortfall mm. from the federal funding. What's your picture of that federal funding in particular as it relates to the MSO? Well, it's, it's a fact that uh, federal funding has been declining, as you uh, outlined. 
Um, there's been an increase, I think, in capital investment. But the uh, if if I talk for about the MSO, we're a performing arts organization. We don't own a venue, so the. Um, their normal funding uh, from the federal has been maintained, and we are very grateful for that. The major performing arts organization are part of a group where the Commonwealth is involved in the funding. Um, if I, I'm, I'm very grateful for that because at the end of the day, we are at, at the top of the ecology and mm -hmm. the music uh, sector or milieu, and we provide jobs <laughs> at the MSO to. Uh, around 500 people a year. So we are relying on these grants to help us achieve that. Uh, by now it's 36% of our total revenues, the public funding we get from all sources, mm -hmm. so federal, state, and city funding. Um, and they, I, I, I am very sad to see the divide that has happened uh, since a couple of years when uh, Minister Brandis announced um, that he was taking a hundred million away from the Australia Council to um, for other programs. And the Australia Council at that point um, decided, or I don't know if decided is the right word, but anyway, um, take that amount out of funding for small and medium organization. I may not be describing this totally correctly, but uh, I was trying to summarize mm -hmm. something that is relatively complex. Mm. Um, uh, we, we were all sad to see that small and medium organization were impacted. And we have tried as much as we can at the MSO, I cannot talk for all my colleagues, but for us we've tried to reach out and to help as much as we could. So by now we have a small ensemble in residence, we have the Melbourne Youth Orchestra for example next door, and we have collaboration agreement and we try to help as much as we can. I w I'm of the opinion that we should, as a milieu, the arts, performing arts milieu, we should get together and advocate to the government about an increase in funding for the arts because a lot of studies have um, shown the positive impact of arts on the well-being of individuals, on the development of the society, of states, of countries, and if the uh, investment in the arts is at the end of the day less or some of us are penalized, I think it's a sad thing and it may make Australia a country that is maybe a little less competitive on the international scene and, and also on other, on, uh, at other level. So it's a complex thing. Um, Do you think there's much appetite among other performing arts organisations to support that kind of approach? Talking to my colleagues in other orchestra, they are all very willing, uh, actually, at this point in time and uh, going forward, and we've been discussing how we could start, not start because we've been advocating to government for a while now, but how we could be heard and, and make a point. And we will keep advocating, I think, on behalf of everyone, small, medium, and major performing arts organization, I'm convinced that um, 
cannibalization, like a milieu that turns on its member and decides that, you know, you should not get this grant and this other organization should get it instead of you, is not the solution. The solution is an increase in funding. If you look at uh, the Canadian mm-hmm. arts mm-hmm. model, um, at some point at around the uh, a recession period, the arts were cut uh, across the country and the Canada Council saw a decrease of its funding that was very significant. I don't remember the exact ratio, but it was something like 40 or 50 percent of its total budget that was taken out. So everyone was impacted, the major, the small and the medium organization. And um, Canadian arts organization decided to get together and to advocate to the government for an increase in funding. It, it took a while to get that across the line, but nowadays the, the budget for the arts in Canada, um, there's been an increase of a, billion, a half a billion dollar very recently. And, and the Canadian dollar is nearly on par with the Australian dollar, so this is a significant increase. And, and this has been accomplished by an, an advocacy plan, I suppose. I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was enacted and there was a relentless uh, push for an increase in funding. And that is not just to the Minister for the Arts, but other ministers that have a say in uh, the budget of a country mm-hmm. <laughs> when it is set. So I think that we should keep uh, being positive and keep pushing for that to happen. Is is there a role for philanthropy in filling that shortfall, or or is it really about government actually making a renewed commitment? I think for both. Mm-hmm. I think that we will benefit from philanthropists making a commitment to the arts and helping us progress. And I think that at the same time we will benefit from government injecting more money into the budget for the arts. And at this, at, at, and we, this is just going to be more beneficial. 